Cool. So welcome to the Happy Mindset Show, the show that brings you insights, realizations, and lessons learned in order to help you to live a life you love. Today's episode is episode number 25, and today's episode title is Seduced by Consciousness. So today I'm joined by Dr. Jack Prensky. Jack is a Tree Principles coach, an author, and a facilitator. His books include Seduced by Consciousness, Modelo, and Somebody Should Have Told Us. In his works, he uses his understanding of the Tree Principles to help people come unstuck and to tap into the deep res- reservoirs of limitless potential that lie within. So thanks for joining us today, Jack. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Dennis, for having me here. Number 25, huh? That's... Uh, yeah, <laughs> still going strong. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Um, I guess my first question for you would be, what is your current understanding of the three principles? And for anybody who isn't familiar with them, could you just articulate what it means to you, the three principles? <laughs> in, uh, in a few seconds, huh? <laughs> well, um, all right. I see the three principles as just facts about the way our life experience works, like how our life experience comes to be. So uh, one fact is that there's this energy behind all of life, including us. It's formless spiritual energy. And uh, it is what brings us life. So it's like this life force within us. And there's nothing we can do about it. It's just there. And we call it universal mind because it also seems to have an intelligence attached to it. So, And we are this little th- part of it that's connected to uh, all the energy behind all life. So we're, we're all part of this. And then we have been given these two gifts on top of that that um, allow us to have life experience. So, so we have this power of, of uh, consciousness, which allows us to have an experience of life here. And then we have been given this great gift of the power of thought, which is the, the uh, vehicle through which we have experience. So things happen to us in the outside world, mm-hmm. but we never take them in purely. There's never a direct link between whatever happens in the outside world and our experience. It always gets filtered through something that creates it. What creates it is our gift of the power of thought. So we get, we get to, um, by using, no, not using, that's the wrong word. By, by seeing our experience through our thinking, mm-hmm. see, seeing whatever happens through our thinking, we get an experience of it in our consciousness. That's the only experience we can ever have. So, so, you know, everybody tends to think that that person did it to me or, or mm. uh, you know, I'm in these horrible circumstances in life and that's why I'm feeling depressed or um, my relationship sucks. So, so that's why I'm, I'm so irritated and angry all the time. Uh, but that's got really um, almost nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. The only thing is we take that in through our thinking, 
we make meaning of it for ourselves. That's what gives us our experience of it. It's so, never the outside world. So is the power in the meaning we give the circumstance? Because I don't think you're talking about reframing here, because people might think this sounds like reframing. This goes no, I'm just talking about the way things work. Mm. Like, like uh, something happens out there. We have a thought about it. Mm. Uh, our consciousness picks up that thought and turns it into, sends it right through our senses, and we get a sensory experience of it. And that's what happens over and over and over and over again. Mm. And it's the only thing that's ever happening. And I, and I will also say that where do our thoughts come from? They come from somehow we pick one from all possibilities. So within universal mind is all possibilities. And we pick, not on purpose, but we pick anger, or we pick irritation, or we pick depression, or we pick happiness, or we pick um, uh, peace, or we pick love, or we pick compassion, or we pick annoyance you know or you know so it's, it's like this is what we are creating with our own use of the power of thought mm. so how do we increase our awareness in the moment to see the possibilities that exist to see are you talking about when i was talking about all possibilities yeah like say for example you're in a situation and you're feeling angry but in the moment you don't realize there's other possibilities how do you start catching on to those other possibilities within that moment? Well, first, it's a question of seeing it outside of that moment, mm. like really being attuned to, to realizing there are infinite levels of consciousness built into each situation. So we could walk around in life and and begin to see all possibilities of levels of consciousness. Like, like um, for example, so, so I'll, I'll tell a little story. Like, so I had my, my, uh, my love partner up here, up visiting me. And she had to get back because her kids were, were flying in from California to her state in Virginia, and she had to be back there in time to get them. Well, so she was planning on flying out from here uh, yesterday. Her flight got canceled. And here means up in, I'm in, up in Massachusetts right now, mm. near Boston. So her flight got canceled. And... Um, and she was going to miss her connection in Philadelphia because it was supposed to be really bad weather there. So, you know, what were we going to do? And, and the airline put her on a flight the next day. Well, she couldn't take a flight the next day because her kids would have been there and she wouldn't have been there to get them. So um, what were we going to do? She, uh, the best the airline could do was get her on a flight that would get her there extremely late last night. 
and she wouldn't have had time to get herself together or anything. And what if that flight got canceled? Mm -hmm. So, so that's the situation, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, it looked like it was a very disturbing situation. And then I had the thought came to me, um, I could drive her. We're talking about a 12 hour drive at best. <laughs> um, and we would have to start taking off in the, in the, you know, pretty close to, uh, I think it was by, uh, about 11 o'clock by the 11 o'clock at night, by the mm -hmm. time we had to make this decision. So, we ended up doing that, driving all night and getting her there in the morning in time to pick up her kids. And then I get back in the car and drive back to um, Boston. Mm -hmm. This time, it wasn't a 12-hour drive. It was a 14-hour drive because the traffic was so bad. Like the night before, there was no traffic, so it wasn't wasn't a problem. So um, last, so so yesterday, I'm driving back, and my hip is hurting, and you know it's, it's it, the traffic was like stop and go. It was really a miserable experience. So here I am faced with grumbling. You know, I'm in, I'm in grumbling mode about my, my fate here, mm -hmm. my lot in life. All right, so into my mind popped, oh, wait a minute. The experience I'm having right now is just one possibility out of infinite possibilities. Like, I'm not going to go out of my way to try to pick another possibility from all possibilities, but just the mere fact of seeing, wait a minute, I'm not stuck with the way I'm feeling right now. Like I was in grumbling mode. Why did I have to be in grumbling mode? You know, it's like there are all kinds of other options. I could have just been in love mode at that point. Hmm. You know, I just did this thing for the woman I love. And, and no matter what kind of pain I was in, if, if my mind was just focused on um, being happy about that, then it doesn't matter what kind of discomfort I'm in. I did it for a good cause, you could say. Mm -hmm. you know? So that's just, that's another possibility within the realm of levels of consciousness. Now, the interesting thing is, whichever one we see, that's what we get. You know, so, so if I'm seeing miserable, <laughs> I'm going to get miserable. And if I'm seeing love, I'm going to get love. And then there's all these other, all these other possibilities. Mm -hmm. And they're endless. Now, as long as I know that, so, so now I couldn't have come up with that in the moment without knowing that in general in life, right? 
Mm-hmm. So I'm looking around at life, just going about my business, and I'm looking at life, and I'm seeing, whoa, I'm not stuck where I am ever. Like, I'm not stuck. There are all these other possibilities that exist. So then when a situation comes up like like last night, um, I'm in a in the position, I mean, I'll grumble for a while about it, and then I'll realize, then I'll realize, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not stuck with this here. There's all these other possibilities. As soon as I see all possibilities, I lift. Mm-hmm. Something happens where I'm not at that low level of consciousness anymore. I've lifted about the hope of seeing other possibilities, another possibility. Does that feel lighter as well when, when you experience that? Definitely feels lighter. Mm-hmm. Then <laughs> That's the interesting thing about it is that the uh, lower we are on levels of consciousness, the heavier it feels. Yeah, and it talk. probably is true. Mm-hmm. That um, when we are thinking depressed thoughts, we are getting a vibration. Like you could say the cells of our body or the molecules or the atoms or the quarks mm-hmm. or whatever they are, are vibrating at a certain level within us that is giving us a real heavy feeling. And up here at the level of compassion or gratefulness or, or uh, love or peace. You know, we're, we're having very light vibrations, which means we have very, very light feelings. Actually, because you mentioned we don't have to do anything to be in a state of peace, love, and joy. I think it's important to, to, to highlight that there's no actual doing in going up the conscious ladder there. It's more of the awareness you're talking of there. But could you explain like why there is no doing to uh, having to be happy or peaceful or loving or joy, joyful? Uh, a couple of things about that. First of all, it's built into our, our it's, it's built into the essence of who we are. So, and the way we can tell that, I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to take my word for it. Mm. When our mind calms down, from its typical craziness, what are we left with? You know, we're left with a feeling of peace and joy mm-hmm. and love. And, you know, and, and it allows for, um, it, it's, a, it, it's like the emptiness from which wisdom springs. So we're able to get new insights from wisdom that comes springing up from out of nothing. Yes. So when our mind is in that kind of a state, that's it's it's a question more of of getting the other stuff out of the way, or not allowing the other stuff to kind of keep it down, you know, like that that metaphor of like holding the beach ball underwater. Yeah, the joy, happiness, um, uh, peace, love is always trying to come up to the surface because it never went anywhere in the first place. And it's only our hands keeping the beach ball down underwater. But as soon as our hands let go, the beach ball pops up automatically. 
And that's the same thing as our thoughts, keeping that other stuff down. Take, take those thoughts away, even for a second, and the other stuff just pops up naturally. So there's no trying to get there. Mm. You know, it's there. It's there already, and we're just in its way. Yeah. And the other thing about that is that trying to get to happiness, say, or trying to get to peace, actually um, interferes with getting there because we're in trying mode. Mm. So we get a feeling of trying. Yeah, it's exactly right. That's the feeling we get, trying. And trying is not joy and happiness and peace and love. Trying is trying. So that's the feeling that we get. We're trying. Could you talk more about the thought feeling connection? I think that's quite important. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically what I was saying before. Consciousness sends our thinking through our senses. So, um, like, like uh, I'm here at, at uh, this place called Nantasket Beach. Have a been at this house where my my family has had this house on the beach here as a summer cottage for as long as since before I was born. Mm-hmm. It was the first place I was taken to from the hospital, you know. So I've been here for a really long time, and I visit it every year. So. You're walking down on the beach, and it's like, without a busy mind, I am actually getting a, a uh, like my thoughts are one with the sight of the ocean, just taken by it the sound of the waves, feeling the, the uh, wind on my skin, smelling the salt air. You can almost taste it. Those are the five senses. If my thoughts are one with the moment, I am taking all those things in as purely as possible. It can never be totally purely, but as purely as possible. So then I might get a thought of, uh, let's say, a thought of insecurity pops into my mind. Suddenly, my senses are leaving the the feeling of the ocean and the sand and the salt air and all that other stuff. And they're following my thinking. So I'm getting a sensory experience, a feeling of what I'm thinking of. And I forget that I'm down the beach at all. I'm just caught in my head. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling it. That's the power of thought. Power of thought and consciousness. And that's what really um, gets us. 
And when we realize that, but for our thinking, it would be there automatically, and that we can only get in our own way, then the question becomes, how much do we want to allow ourselves to get in our own way? Like once you see that, does it make any sense to get in our own way like that? Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll all get caught in a moment. Like we'll just get caught and be taken away just like I was grumbling in the traffic. You know? mm-hmm. We'll get caught in a moment, but then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Is this the kind of experience that I want to be having in life right now? It doesn't make any sense because I'm the one that gets to live with it. Because I think that that is where the power is. That like I think like the mind has a tendency to associate things with certain things. Like when you can see that the beach isn't giving you the feeling, that principle means that I can have that feeling everywhere. Like like you said there. Um, but I guess actually my question is why is intellectually understanding this different to actually experiencing it? <laughs> well, uh, to me that's very simple because. Um, I I just I have I happen to have this thought that intellectual understanding means absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. and so, like, if I'm trying to um, explain how the three principles work through my intellect, if I only have an intellectual understanding of it it's going to have zero impact on somebody else. Mm. If I had an intellectual understanding that, um, of of say how levels of consciousness work, it wouldn't do me any good because it doesn't mean anything. The intellect is not where the, uh, juice of life is I'm not, I don't feel like I'm articulating it very well here right now but um, I think what, what's helping me is to see that the intellect is more the more I can see it's a tool rather than my master it's the servant rather than the master that's been helping me like before if I had a tendency to try you would have had a tendency where I didn't have the distinction to try and understand everything intellectually even something that's more spiritual based, something like the principles. But when I saw the distinction between the intellect as a tool I can use to create things in the world and to break stuff down and not have it as something that tries to understand life itself because it's too large for it to understand, um, that distinction kind of helped me in my mind now like to, to look at it that way. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah, I think that's really well put, Dennis. Really well put. It's like the intellect can't understand the, the um, spiritual nature of life. It's like impossible. We can only have a, um, like an insight connection with it. It just kind of has a, the intellect has a um, I'm not sure what the word is that I want. It's like 
it's not a heart connection. Mm. And as a result, it's not a grasping. Grasping. It's when you when you get an insight from wisdom from the heart, you're just grabbed, and it's impossible to see it another way. Mm. Like a shift, the shift in consciousness, pretty much too, isn't it? That's exactly what it is—a shift in consciousness. But I remember uh, the first time I ever uh, had an experience with Sid Banks. He's the for for those who mm-hmm. are listening who don't know who he is. I mean, he's the man who, out of nowhere, had the um, enlightenment experience where he saw the three principles in action. Well, my first encounter with him, um, I, he, like the way he was talking, and I I don't even know what he said, but all of a sudden, I just got hit by this enormous feeling of, it was almost like a whoosh, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to describe it, that, that I knew, it was two things actually, there's a lot more that's going on here than I can even begin to comprehend. Like whatever I have been seeing in this life is just the teensiest little piece of what's going on and the the other thing I saw was I knew that he knew that he was speaking truth truth Mm -hmm. I knew that he knew and that was all I knew and that was enough to shift me into a different realm of of uh i guess you could call it possibility for life at that time going about my business the way i was going about my business life was a very narrow thing and then suddenly all possibilities were opened up now i couldn't have i couldn't have uh i heard that i saw that way 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 below my intellect I couldn't have, my intellect couldn't have come up with that in a million years. It's just something we get taken by. And everybody has insights. Hmm. Having an insight about the nature of life or the nature of how our life experience works, that's like a whole other level. <laughs> so like when when your mind opened more to possibilities, did you still find yourself getting tunnel vision every now and again as well? And like, can you remember when you started seeing things meaningfully in your own life where you, where you started like in the moment, intuitively grasping things that you didn't grasp before? Was there a shift there somewhere you can remember? Uh, that I can remember. I don't know. A lot of these things to me happened like around little things. Mm. Like, for me, I mean, I didn't have ever a big monster epiphany. Mm. It was more like, uh, are you you from 
Scotland? Or? No, from uh, Dublin or from Ireland. I'm from Kerry originally. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I had this experience when I was driving in in England at actually my my most challenging driving experience ever was driving in Western Ireland. <laughs> I can imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> not only were not I don't want to diverse to diverge too much, but not only am I driving on the wrong side of the road, not only is the steering wheel on the wrong side of the car, but I'm supposed to be able to judge how close I am to the edge and there's stone walls at the edge mm-hmm. and the roads are really narrow. And when a car comes by at you in the other direction, you know, you're supposed to be able to get over, but not hit the stone wall because stone walls are very unforgiving. Yeah. So, you know, so I get, I get back from that experience back to the U S so now I'm driving on the right side of the road and I find myself. No, this happened actually when I was over there. So, of course, my tendency is to go right. So let's say in life, tendency is to go right Mm. for me. And all of a sudden, I get this thought. Wait a minute. I'm going right, but that's not right. You know, and so that just comes into your mind. So then you go left. And then you get to a point where you start to see yourself go right. And you go left before you have that opportunity. And then it gets to a point where it just becomes part of you. Hmm. And you go right naturally. And that's when I got back and the whole thing got messed up again. And so I nearly killed myself again, you know, but it's those little increments Mm. of seeing are what for me made, made a bigger difference than having a monster. Mm. You see it as a learning curve. Yeah. I mean, it sure is. I mean, I, First of all, everybody has blind spots. Mm. There isn't a single person that doesn't have blind spots. Anybody who read Seduced by Consciousness knows that one of my big blind spots is relationships. Mm. And I'm, I'm, you know, getting a new chance to practice uh, in this relationship I'm in now. It's especially good because she doesn't let me get away with anything. So she's, she's always um, calling me on uh, any inconsistencies whatsoever in my thinking, which happens when I get into relationships in terms of my blind spots. So we're blind to our blind spots. We has can't. Your, has your relationship with uncovering blind spots changed over time? Yes, I'm more open to the possibility of having them. Uh, And I'm more open to the possibility of seeing them. And little by little, my blind spot about relationships is gradually being revealed to me. 
And a lot of it happened since I wrote Seduced by Consciousness. That's actually an interesting one. Like, do you feel when you're writing a book that you don't need to be like, uh, have it fully figured out before you start writing a book about something? If I did, I never would have written a word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, for some reason, people have told me my books have been very helpful to them. Like, lots of people have had lots of insights from reading my books. And some people have told me they've had life-changing experiences from reading my books, especially somebody should have told us and seduced by consciousness. Now, I'm, I'm very baffled by that, really, because I, I don't think it's me. And I don't think it's my words on the page. But for some reason, people reading that, some people reading that stuff have had themselves like opened up in a way. Now, I didn't have it all figured out. Mm. Like I knew a lot more when I wrote Seduced by Consciousness than I did when I wrote Somebody Should Have Told Us 14 years before that. And yet somebody should have told us is still out there helping people have insights. And if I had waited until I figured it all out, mm. um, I'd still be waiting. <laughs> it sounds like too, you, you'd learn, you've learned a lot from writing the book, the act of writing itself as well, have you? Well, yeah, I mean, no, that's absolutely true. When you write a book, it kind of puts you on the line. It puts what you know on the line. Like you can't, it's not, it's not even like writing, well, it's especially not like writing a blog, mm-hmm. you know, because there's, there's very little permanence to that. Yeah. You write it, people see it, and it's kind of... Yeah, you still, can always delete it if you want to. It's still, there, it's still there, but it's kind of gone. Yeah. Yeah. But once you have something like cast in stone, mm. you could say... So they hold you accountable to an extent as well. Like, do you feel like you hold yourself to a higher standard because you've written that book where you put yourself in the line? Well, I happen to have very high standards mm. for, for what ends up going into my books. Very, very high standards. And I go over them and over them and over them and over them until I get to the point where I can actually say okay, I am behind this 100%. I've noticed a lot of people who write books in general, and sometimes three principles books, are not that careful. And uh, those don't have the lasting effects Mm -hmm. that... um, In what way, in what way, for example, there do you find they're not being careful enough? by saying things from the intellect and not from their heart. Okay. I'm not yeah. saying all, I'm, you know, I'm not yeah. saying all the books, but there were some great three principles books out there mm-hmm. that I didn't write, you know, but yeah. you can tell there's a difference when people are truly 
feeling it hmm. and when they're in their intellect and writing from that. Yeah, that's a strange phenomenon that you can even get that from reading a book. You can get that feeling, you can get that sense of whether it's coming from the heart or whether it's coming from the intellect itself only. Yeah, have you had that feeling? Yeah, no, I have, yeah, definitely yeah, in the past, yeah. yeah, when reading stuff and stuff. It's a weird, I don't know why I've, I can tell that, but I don't know. It's a strange. I know, yeah, I'm the same way. I don't know why I can tell that either, but I can tell it. It's it's really deep listening. You know, it's deep listening to... to um, what we're reading yeah what the author is really saying well i guess what, I, what i'm picking up from what he's really saying you know yeah, yeah. i mean so so i wrote uh somebody should have told us about 14 years ago and i can read it now in fact i i, I just recently had to read it <laughs> because uh i was um it's going to be coming out very soon as an audio book yeah. and i realized i'm still behind all of it, even though I have a deeper understanding now, I'm still behind it. And that comes from being, just not letting myself get, in, get away with anything. Yeah. How do you find the balance between not letting yourself get away with things and not venturing too far into beating yourself up? How do you find that balance? Well, because that's a totally different thought. Mm, okay. Beating oneself up is the thought that doesn't do any good. You know? not letting myself get away with anything in terms of, wait a minute, is this really true? Hmm. Is, that, is, that, is this really true? And asking myself that question over and over and over again. Is it more from a place of compassion that you're asking those questions as well? Or? I'm not sure. Hmm. It's either true or not, you know, mm. and is it really true is a question for me that I like to ask not only in my writing, but also just as I'm going about my business in life, like if I'm stuck on something. Mm -hmm. Like I was just talking to somebody recently who said um, that she has this, she carries this thing around with her about wanting to make sure that her kids are completely safe at all times and that she is responsible for that. And so she lives in a very uh, fearful feeling that she's not doing everything just exactly right so her kids will be totally safe and protected. Well, this is where is it really true comes in. Is it really true no matter, that no matter how vigilant you are, you can, you can um, save your kids from all uh, accidents, for example, or all difficulties? Yeah, is it really true that you can do that? Now, common sense would say we need to set up a safe environment. Okay. But once we set up a safe environment for our kids, then <laughs> to be like ultra vigilant to make sure nothing ever goes wrong, things are going to go wrong. Hmm. That's just life. And that's how people learn. Hmm. Builds character too, I think. 
yeah, things are going to go wrong. And if, if, so if one has like a, 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 in the back of their mind, you know, they have this thing, no matter what happens to my kids, it's going to be a great learning experience, you know, short of death, (laughs) you know, know? or you have in the back of your mind, I've got to make sure that everything is right. So nothing ever bad will happen to them. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different um, stance. You could say to live from about our kids in relationship to their environment. And which one is healthier for me as a parent is it healthy for me to live in fear all the time or is it healthier for me to live in um whatever happens will be a learning experience Hmm. it's a good question yeah the element of giving up control to windows to uh two outlooks in life i think have you gone through a learning curve yourself of giving up control the illusion uh, of control, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, first of all, there are some people I know who are control freaks. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, so control itself is on a continuum. Yeah. You know? I've never been a control freak. But I guess just control in your own life, not even thinking about other people, just like, I guess like, cause I feel my intellect has got a tendency to try and control the situation. So I feel safe at kind of letting go of control. Yeah. As if it works. Yeah. Which it know, does. That's the yeah. thing. That's where it comes in. You know, is it really true that if I try to control the situation with my intellect, that it really works? Like, mm. is that really true? That's what needs to be called into question. Yeah. Just like, is it really true that if I am so vigilant that I can keep my kids safe in every situation so they'll never get hurt, is that true? You know? Mm. And you start asking yourself questions like that, and uh, you come to a conclusion very soon that it's not true. And when it's not true, like, then what? wait a minute, I've been doing something that is not true. Does it make any sense to keep doing it? Mm. You know, it gets to the point where you say, wait a minute, it's not true. I'm still doing it. Does it make any sense to keep doing it? (laughs) Or you could even try not doing it for a day and see if there's any better experiences. Well, that's kind of something I've done in the past. Yeah. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't have kids that's listening, I think even doing something like a business, it's the same principles that you're actually having to leave go of the illusion of control and trying, even with the podcast, it's like, am I asking the right questions? Is everybody going to like this? That's control too. And it's like, oh, well, no, like you can't answer yes to, to those questions either. And then it makes less and less sense. It's just pretty you know, and then on top of that, there's this thinking like, let's say that I had on my mind, in the back of my mind, um, how well am I coming across? Mm. As soon as I had a thought like that, I wouldn't come across well. You know? <laughs> that could be a blind spot too, as in like, you mightn't even realize that you're doing that. It could be more in the, the unconscious, I think. 
that's true. That can happen. Mm. That can happen. Yeah. I mean, I learned I I learned that by you know in playing basketball. You're okay. you're on the free throw line, and it's just you and the basket. You know, you have any extraneous thoughts come in. Oh. Had, you know. <laughs> yeah, like in golf and stuff too. Yeah, like any sports, really. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, any sport, any golf especially, probably. Although I'm not a golfer, but, um, you know, you get a thought in your mind about anything else, how well you're doing, uh, anything like that. You've had it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, is there any book actually that stands out for you, Jack, that um, you'd recommend? I mean, besides my own? Besides your own, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm reluctant to single a book out mm. because then the books that I don't single out, people will think I'm not behind them or something like that. Mm. I'd rather not do that, but I would say that, um, you know, where does the, where does, where can people find the closest um, proximity to truth? Mm. And I would say from the horse's mouth, which is Sid Banks. Mm. Now, I personally don't happen to think that he was a really good writer. So um, for me, I kind of have to put the storytelling aside and just really deeply listen to the truth of what he's saying. And I, uh, Linda Quiring's books about Sid in the early days you know, there's Island of Knowledge, Beyond Beliefs, and uh, Encounters with an Enlightened Man are directly um, quoting him. Hmm. And so, yeah, I would recommend those besides my own. Cool. Yeah, your books are good too. Like I read your books. Um, I haven't fully finished them yet. Um, I think I've read Seduced by Consciousness first when I first came across this field. And that was, it's funny because looking back on it now, like I'm reading it and it is a bit different to what I thought it was. That's what you'll find with these books is that like, as your perspective shifts and your consciousness shifts, you get a different lens through which to read them through. Um, yeah. And the people invariably get a deeper understanding if they read my books and Sid's mm -hmm. books, you know, and maybe all the books, a second time and a third time. Yeah. There's just really, because you, you said it, our understanding shifts. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's a, and Modelo as well, I'm reading that at the moment. Yeah, yeah Modelo is, I mean, for people who don't know about Modelo, it's, mm -hmm. it's a story of how Roger Mills, uh, one, who is one of the early founders of, of this stuff went into this uh, couple of low-income inner-city housing projects and that were horrible places and just completely turned them around through this insight out understanding of the three principles 
And it's a fascinating story, and it's what got me. I would not have been interested in the three principles if it weren't for that, if it weren't for what he accomplished there. So I owe him a debt of gratitude, hmm. for sure. And it's, it's a good book. I think I'm halfway through that. And it's, uh, he talks about backing into the principles, but I think, which I think is quite a, quite a useful insight. It seemed like he went in there, listened, see what he could do, get the trust of people and help them to actually help themselves. That's what I'm getting from that. That is a lesson for us all. Yeah. No matter who we're talking with the three principles about, um, no matter whether we go into a business, whether we go into a community organization like that, whether we go into education, whether we um, talk to somebody one-on-one as a coach or a counselor or a therapist, it's always the same process that works. It's being in our health first. It's, it's um, being with other people so that their minds calm down and relax the grip on their current thinking. It's always deeply listening to them. All that first before we ever open our mouths about the three principles. Because if we open our mouths about the three principles too soon, it's just going to fall on deaf ears Mm. if those other things are not in place. And it's also a knowing that the only thing that can ever make a difference for people is their own insights. No matter how eloquent we are in describing the three principles, no matter how articulate we are, people are either going to get an insight or they're not. And that's the only thing that ever makes a difference. Hmm. So, so I feel quite humble as a, as a teacher, yeah. as a coach, as a writer, because I know it's not me. Yeah. It takes the pressure off. It does. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Jack. That's, uh, that's wonderful. Thanks for, thanks for shedding light in this conversation. It's quite, um, it's a topic that's quite, um, uh, it's hard to articulate sometimes, but I think you did a great job in articulating uh, what you've seen for yourself and um, and for your books and everything. So I recognize you for that. Um, so thanks, Jack. Well, I hope it was uh, useful for people in a, some small way. Mm-hmm. And it's really a pleasure talking with you. So Yeah, you too, Jack. Okay, so, Dennis. Until next time, have fun and enjoy the process. Okay, thanks.